This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. I am here with Murat Fizulin. How are you? Fine, thanks. So I, uh, I have been following your work for a very long time. Uh, I think it was the early 90s or mid-90s that you started your work on INES. Is that correct? Uh, that's not the first uh, emulator that I started working on. Oh, okay. The first was uh, FMSX, which is around 92, 93. Oh, wow. So you were very young when you started working on these, right? You find young. <laughs> um, I think uh, I was uh, when I first started working on the emulation. I was thirteen or fourteen years old. Uh, and I think you're only a few years older than me, right? Or, or I was like about twenty-one. Okay, right. Yeah, so that's still kind of pretty young to work on these. Um, so, uh, I guess could you just kind of uh, walk us through how you even got started? Is uh, programming your, your main focus for your job or is it just a fun hobby that you work on? I actually started programming when I was around 14 or 15 years old. So I started very early and it was mostly fun. Gotcha. And you said your first was the MSX emulator, correct? Yes. The MSX was originally the first computer on which I started programming so it was natural for me to try writing an emulator for it yeah. and there already was at least one of them available from some guy in Netherlands so I just came up with a better more portable version that would run on anything starting with Unix. Gotcha and um, how did you even uh, what was the first step in that you just found your programming tools and just kind of started disassembling some of the chips that you knew were involved I mean what, how does one even first start uh, start a process like that well MSX is a very well defined platform there is no need to disassemble anything since all the hardware is well described mm-hmm. so I just started with the CPU emulator then added <clears throat> the video display processor emulator, which first worked in a console. So the first pictures from FMSX were rendered as characters in a Unix console. Uh, After that, I switched to graphics at some point, adding X11 support. Hmm. And then at some point, I added the audio. Interesting. Okay. And and then was the the second one INES, uh, the second emulator you worked on? Uh, the second one was actually VGB, I think, which is the Game Boy Classic emulator. Mm-hmm. That was around 93, 94. I do remember that, actually. It was kind of neat, because that was the first time I'd played any Game Boy game on a screen that wasn't um, the Super Game Boy or the Game Boy itself. And it's kind of funny to say now, because, I mean, you could play these emulators on many different devices, but... Back in the early 90s, it was kind of fascinating just to see it on the, on an unfamiliar device. 
Uh, well, since I originally developed those on the Unix workstation, uh, it was actually way funnier than that, since Unix did not have any games available. Playing Game Boy games on it was pretty much almost the only game in town. And <laughs> we are actually talking about beasts which were like six to 8,000 apiece, the Unix workstations, not your normal PC. No, my um, my first job I got in uh, right after I graduated uh, high school, pretty much. I was still in tech school, and it was working in a computer room for Brinks Home Security, the the global security company, and they had a whole bunch of those Unix workstations that I had to learn how to do very basic stuff, no programming at all. Um, but just actually working with a Unix terminal like that was pretty fascinating because you know it's something in the PC world that your average person never stumbles across. Uh, and just to see, you know, even though obviously in you know, 2000 computers were modern, flat screens were coming out, but just to see, you know, the big command line only terminals that cost millions of dollars each. And then, uh, then we got new versions in that were literally twice the size and a uh, hundred times more powerful. And it's a, it's a totally different game for people that haven't, uh, that haven't ever had to code on a workstation like that. Well, since I switched directly from 8-bit systems to Unix, I really cannot quite understand that. I got an MS-DOS and Windows machine very late in my life. So for me, it was MSX, then Amiga OS, and Unix. Not Linux, but proper Unix. So that that actually makes sense, complete sense for that progression, because for me, it was uh, the original MS-DOS on the Tandy 1000, I think it was 2.11 or something, to version 2 point something. Uh, and I have, you know, DOS through into Windows and on. So that's why that makes sense, uh, the completely different computer progressions. Well, I did some paid work on those back in Russia, but uh, I never had one on my own, and I really did not need one since it was much less fun than uh, the 8 bits. And then I switched from that to Amiga, which was clearly more fun than your MS-DOS computer. <laughs> yeah. Um, when did you move from Russia? Uh, 91. Gotcha. Okay. So you just came for school or something? Uh, no, we immigrated. Oh, okay. Your whole family. Gotcha. Yes. Um, so I think the first thing that I remember about the INES emulator is at the time, it was the only one I knew that could save audio. Um, I'm not sure if the other ones had that feature, but yours was the only one I was actually familiar with. And uh, I think... Uh, I thought I was one of the only people in the world that really just wanted the soundtracks for my old NES games. And now, you know, I realize it's actually very common. Lots of people want video game soundtracks. But uh, I remember using the INES emulator to uh, to extract that. And I believe it was actually Kevin Horton that, um, that created the NSF format to do it. Um, how did you implement that in? Was that something, were you a fan I of video game music? Uh... Your memories are slightly incorrect, uh, since uh, INES never supported the NSF format, and it still does not support that. Then it must have been just a straight wave uh, so rip. What INES actually does, and still very, I think no other emulators do, is saving that audio directly to a MIDI file. That's right. That's right. I, I did remember that wrong. Um, and that, so that's actually... In principle, you could plug a MIDI keyboard into your computer as long as you had a port and your Windows supported that. Mm-hmm. And you could play sound from those games directly to a MIDI keyboard. Or you can record that MIDI file even on the new INES, even on Android, and later use that file for a ringtone or something. 
That's there is right. no specialized formats involved. Um, so I do, uh, I remember at one point you had offered um, a couple of different versions with different support for it. I think there was a, I mean, I'm, I'm still talking back in the 90s now, not any of your um, any of your mobile Android ports, but you had the pro version and the, um, uh, and the free version, correct? Uh, for INS? Yes. Actually, I think I never had a free version. Uh, there was a version for Unix, different Unix versions, which was free. Mm-hmm. But the MS-DOS and Windows binaries were only available for a fee. And the main reasoning behind that was that whoever is willing to pay that fee is hopefully not going to pirate the games. They will actually bother to buy uh, the official copies before using a ROM dump. Makes sense. That pretty much led to people just pirating both the games and the emulator, but such is life. It is, and um, it's actually, uh, I've, I've wanted to interview for a while and tell you this story and, and get your reaction, because I was, remember, I was 13 or 14 years old, I was very young, you know, we didn't have much money, so I couldn't, I couldn't exactly just start buying everything that I wanted, and I remember one website leaked the uh, INS, and that was how I first discovered it, because... Uh, even even today, when I tr- I like to try software before I buy it because uh, even with the video production stuff I was doing, I tried five different softwares before I found the one I liked. So I remember trying yours, and then you had posted your phone number um, for support in the pro uh, in the paid version. And I think at 13 years old, maybe younger actually, it might have been 12. I tried calling you to ask for support. <laughs> I think you are slightly incorrect here because uh, the documentation for INES, either free or paid version, never included my phone number. You may have picked up that from my resume or something, but uh, not from the INES documentation. It's possible. I do remember calling you, and then uh, I remember asking about having trouble saving a file or something, and you were very polite, but you said you just said, uh, you know, did you pay for it? And I got nervous and hung up the phone. <laughs> So yeah, it's uh it, when I saw your name pop up after I'd started Retro RGB, I always said one of these days I have to go back and 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 interview him and and tell that story because it was it was very embarrassing. I didn't I basically stole your software to try it out and then and then as a kid called you to ask for help. It's very uh it's not something I would ever do as an adult, but at 12 or 13, it seemed like a, an okay idea to me. <laughs> very embarrassing. Um did you actually get a lot of that? Did you ever get a lot of contact from pirated versions? I get people asking me questions every now and then. I also get requests for release the version for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's generally kind of country-specific. For some reason, I get a lot of those from Philippines. I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. But in general, people have learned to just pirate quietly nowadays. <laughs> also, I kind of suspect that at the current rate, nobody really expects support for any software for others. Yeah, you know, it's strange because uh, any I don't want to say anybody. I guess most of the people that I know that, that do any kind of software production or really work in, in the realm of these things absolutely buy the software that they use. Um, a lot of people like me do love to try beforehand, but uh, I think I think the older you get and the more you realize the 
the consequences the more people actually want to purchase it you know when you're a a 12 year old kid you don't realize that somebody's trying to make a living off of software you just at the time just put it on a floppy disk and put it in your computer and it didn't the connection wasn't really made but i think most of my friends nowadays if uh, especially your android ports um, they would not pirate those they would actually just buy them and use them well my statistics generally shows the opposite uh people are surely pirate a lot well, how many of those are children, more. though? Um, I have no idea. I could probably find out by dumping some statistics from those devices, but I generally don't spy on my customers or non-customers. <laughs> uh, but in general, I see that for every down, for every paid download, there is about three to five pirates at once. Yeah. And, uh, it does not really depend on the price. Even if you put the price at 99 cents, the ratio will still stay the same. Yeah, that's about the same that uh, that uh, game designers say as well. Um, and depending on the game, it's uh, the ratio is a lot higher actually. So it's uh, it's sad. I wish uh, I wish there was a way to have better trial versions of things. And it's um, it, you know uh, the time limit uh, thing works in many cases. So something like an emulator. Um, I think a lot of people once they see the quality of the emulator would actually purchase it. I wonder if that's something that's implemented on... Uh... Um, I have also gone the demo route for a couple of my emulators, and in those particular cases, there is no time limit. There is no third-party advertising. There is some of my own advertising, which means those emulators show the links to my own stuff. Mm-hmm. And there is a couple of features disabled, like saving states, for example, or applying cheats to the games. Uh, what this basically gives is a ratio of about one in ten, or one in one in ten to one in twenty, who tried the demo is going to install the real thing, and the demos are really usually rated down uh, with a lot of those comments on the Google Play being, this thing has features limited. And the author is actually charging you money for the full version, and that basically grants you a one-star review on Google Play. Uh, so that also works to a certain degree, degree, but not as well as you would suggest it. Hmm. I wish uh, I wish there was a way to change that. I um, I really I like to give back to the people that, that make the tools that make my life easier. Um, you know, I was very into emulation when I was a kid, and then once I got my first job, I started traveling for work. So I was out of the game for almost 10 years, and now for about the past six years, I've kind of gotten back into it. Um, and it, al- along the way, it was either tools for the projects I was working on, or when I was traveling, it was just fun ways to play old games on my portable devices. So... Uh, I really wish more people would contribute, but nothing you could do about it, I guess. No, this is how the world works, basically. So the only real way to do this is to somehow advertise so much that uh, the amount of legally bought copies pays enough money to keep maintaining and supporting the product. Otherwise, it just there is just way more higher paid ways to make a living (laughs) yeah yeah unfortunately if uh almost every aspect of trying to do what you love as a hobby for a living means that you're gonna have to take a large pay cut so yeah i agree you have to 
have to have your day job and, and do your fun stuff on the side, I guess. Um, so how did you make the transition over to some of the mobile things? Was it just kind of a natural progression because you'd already been working in uh, Unix and then, of course, Linux and Android? Well, I got interested in Nokia internet tablets at one point, which was at the time when uh, N810 came out. And since that tablet basically ran uh, uh, Debian Linux, and I already had Unix versions of my software, it was natural to port my emulators to the tablet. Mm -hmm. Which at some point progressed to N900, and then to Android devices once Nokia decided that they really want to hold the company go away. Gotcha. Um, so uh, with all of the, uh, I think one of the other emulators I used uh, was your SMS emulator, correct? Um, you have, uh, what's, I'm forgetting the name of it. I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, you mean the Master Gear? Yes, yes. Sorry, I'm just pulling your website up now. It, uh, exactly, the, the Master Gear emulator. So it's uh, Sega Master System and uh, Game Gear, correct? That's correct. And it also covers SG-1000, which is an older version of uh, the Master System. And right. all the extensions, including the home computer and the disk-based system. So would you be able to talk a little bit about the SG-1000? Because I think it's something that confuses a lot of people that try to, to use the games, whether it's through ROM carts or emulators, because it is the the original Master System. And you, know, you could play them on a Japanese Master System, but not on a Genesis. Um, it's just, uh, it uses a different video mode of the chip, I believe. Uh, would you be able to talk a little bit about that? Because writing the emulator, I'm sure you'd have a lot more insight than I would. Uh, so the SG-1000 is pretty much almost the same thing as the MSX. It has the Z80 CPU. It has the same video processor as the MSX computers or the ColecoVision. And that's Texas Instruments 9918. Mm -hmm. uh, so the only difference is that uh, the SG-1000 has the National Semiconductor's uh, audio chip. Okay. rather than uh, the normal 8910 that MSX had. Mm -hmm. So SG-1000 is very much like ColecoVision in that sense. Same VDP, same audio chip, same CPU, uh, maybe slightly different device arrangements, but that's pretty. Uh, so the reason your older master system consoles could run it was because the same CPU, same audio chip, and the video processor had compatibility mods with 9918. It was derived from that. Uh, later, they removed those compatibility mods, but they added more Genesis-like mods. That's what Master System 2 is about. And the differences could be seen in the Codemasters games, which... Uh, used specific uh, Master System 2 features. They will not fully run on older Master System consoles because they require newer features. Uh, so that's what is G1000. It's pretty much a Sega version of a ColecoVision with better games. Uh, there are two extensions for it. One is SC3000, which is the home computer-based round is 1000 keyboard for it. Uh, another extension is SF7000, which is the disk drive. 
all three are supported in master uh, in the master gear. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very interesting. I I only tested one or two master system two specific games, the Code Master games, and I believe. Um, uh, they were more popular in Brazil than they were in the, most of the rest of the world for adding extra features. Um, is it something that you think would be a noticeable difference? Maybe if, uh, uh, like, do you actually see um, better video quality? Or uh, maybe that's the wrong word. Like, more, um, like a, an improvement over the, the older games that don't support those modes? Not really. Uh, the only changes basically involve uh, a bigger screen. The Sega Master System 2 allows you to have more scan lights on the screen, especially in PAL modes. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that's why they are so successful in Brazil, which is the PAL country. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I always uh, I always love to see the little different revisions from uh, different parts of the world and, and uh, what people have added to it. And the Brazil story about Master System and Genesis is always an interesting one because... Um, because of their export laws and the Sega licensing. So you get to see a lot of very cool Sega Master System things coming from Brazil that you didn't see really anywhere else in the world. um, So uh, you also have done the ColecoVision emulator, Col-M, which, of course, since you said the chips were were similar, uh, it must not have been... uh, It must have been a little bit easier than starting from scratch because you already had the knowledge from the other ones, correct? The MSX and the Master Gear? Yes, I basically had the building pieces, just needed to rearrange them differently. Um, and what is the, uh, so the Speccy, uh, Speccy emulator? Um, uh, you mean the Sinclair ZX Spectrum emulator? Yes, yes. So I've actually never even seen a ZX Spectrum in person. Um, I have a pretty decent collection, but... Uh, That's probably because you are a U.S.-based person. If you lived in Europe, you would have seen it already multiple times. And is that something that you had as a kid that you just wanted to uh, to write an emulator for, or is that similar to the other platforms? So, I actually had a home-built one as a university student at some point. Very cool. That was usually a very popular uh, home-built project for Russians at the end of the Soviet Union times. Um, and all of these seem to be available on Android as well. Um, that's correct. So that's, uh, that's pretty neat. If, um, it, so the, the emulators, just for people that aren't familiar with your site, and of course I'll, I'll link to it, is INES, which is Nintendo, of course, Master Gear, we just talked about, the ZX Spectrum Specky, your MSX one, of course, the ColecoVision, uh, Virtual Game Boy and Game Boy Advance, which is very cool, and uh, Almost TI, is that a TI-80 uh, calculator emulator? Uh, this is kind of an umbrella emulator for Texas Instruments graphing calculators. That is that is hysterical. I remember um, I never had one of those, but a lot of my friends did, and I remember uh, them hacking to put different games on it and stuff like that. And it's very neat. And this, uh, I think, this is the perfect example of why I'm such a fan of emulation like this. Because 50 years from now, no one's going to know what a TI-80 is, and no one's probably not many people are going to even still have them. But having an emulator like this that, that could actually show, you know, I'll be able to show my grandkids the experience that we had at school. They'll probably be putting on a virtual reality mask or something to, when they go to school, and we were still clicking away on these calculators. So this is very cool. Um, 
So the uh, the MSX emulator on Android, now is that all still based off of your original code, but obviously updated, of course, as the years go by? Uh, there is original code there, which I keep updating every now and then. It's pretty much feature complete now, so updates are kind of rare just to fix a few bugs. Uh, that code can be ported to just about anything, uh, not limited to Android. You can port it to something like embedded devices. I had it ported to a Canon uh, camera at one point. <laughs> not done by me, but by somebody who was a huge fan. That is great. Uh, so that's the code which is running in Android right now. And uh, there is a lot of Android-specific code around it, which adds all the features. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, there is something called the Emulip, which is a um, semi-portable library for doing graphics, input, audio, and the special effects on pretty much any platform. Hmm. It's more like an in-house version of SDL for me. The library is actually free and it's available on my website. Very cool. Um, so I had noticed uh, somebody had mentioned that uh, you had been corresponding with the guys from SMS Power. Um, have you, uh, I, for a while when I was away traveling for work, I didn't really post on forums and then I got back into it. Uh, SMS Power has been around for a very long time. They're one of the original uh, original websites that that really supported the 8-bit Sega gaming. Um, have you contributed uh, to any of those projects, or have you been following some of the stuff that they've been doing recently, such as the MSX to Master System conversions or Game Gear to Master System? Uh, I generally stick to my own projects, so I don't contribute to stuff like that or even keep track of it mostly because I have a lot of work to do. Yeah, it so makes sense. that stuff is kind of below my radar, especially considering that I have other interests other than SMS or Game Gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I check the forum every now and then just to see what's going on. Where every now and then is defined in like every three or four months. So you said um, you you mentioned other projects. Do you have um, other hobby software that you work on that's not on your website? Things that you sell? Well, uh, right now uh, Google Play has an exhaustive list of stuff I sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty much all I sell right now. I also do a lot of contract work, which you will not see on my site since it's all proprietary. But uh, it's much better paid than the emulator projects. Uh, I imagine it is. (laughs) And uh, every now and then I do various stuff. Like uh, There is a symbolic uh, calculator app which I have, which I was trying to get uh, properly ported to Android and released for a while, but uh, could never finish it due to the lack of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me see if I can find your link. Uh, other stuff includes uh, some uh, radio operator software which gets connected to one of those scanners which have computer interface and lets you do stuff that the scanner itself does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see. Oh, gosh, I forgot what the URL is. Okay, I will tell you later. Uh I also have something 
called the Emunet, which is uh, a general framework for modeling uh, computer platforms. Oh, that wow. has not been completed yet, so it's not yet released, but it's pretty much a more general way to combine pieces which I already have, like CPU emulators, video or audio emulators, mm-hmm. into a new platform. Well, that's interesting. Wow. I think that's something a lot of people would want to would, uh, would, uh, use for their own projects, actually. Well, there are... Frameworks like that, I think the MAME, Mass and MAME use something like that, although it looks way messier. <laughs> but maybe if I add enough features, mine will be just as messy as the one they use in MAME. Yeah, all projects tend to do that. The more the more you add, the more uh, the crazier it gets. Um, I did computer hardware design for a while, and uh, we had one of those brainstorming sessions where we thought of all these great ideas, and then we you know sent out all the work had all the prototypes made and then when it came back we just realized when you opened it up it was just a mess of wires it was features not everybody would need and uh the product that we ended up shipping the most of happened to be our bare bones version of it so <laughs> i understand how uh, how feature adding can sometimes make things a little crazy but uh it's certainly a lot of fun at least for me i actually avoid adding a lot of features and uh some of the users do not like that since I get requests for somebody's pet features every week or so, and people get really offended when I say that since this feature is not required by anyone but you, <laughs> that may not be a very successful proposition. I, uh, I, I always am fascinated by that, actually, um, by people who think because they need it, everybody else needs it. Um, Luckily, most of the people that I deal with in the the retro gaming community are not like that. Very, uh, you know, very good people. But you occasionally get, or I occasionally hear things like that as well. It's uh, it's kind of funny. People should learn to look at things from other people's perspectives. Nothing you can do. Well, uh, I actually usually say the following upfront upfront statement is that the user has just paid five bucks for an application, so he is entitled for five dollars of support at most. And if he wants me to add a feature, there are basically two choices. One of which is unrealistic and comes down to paying me a lot of money. And the second one is to prove that this feature will be required by somebody else. If that can be proven, I usually add a feature. And a lot of my Android emulator features uh, came to be in exactly this way. Somebody proposed it. I saw that it can be used by more people than this guy proposing it, and so I added. Yeah, that makes but sense. Every That's a good way to look at it. a freak case where uh, the feature is really just too specific or too complicated to use by anybody else, but the guy requesting it. Yeah, that seems very fair to me, actually. It's, uh, you know, that's, yeah, that's a good way to look at it, but... Um, so uh, I think I, I covered everything. I mean, I, it's, of course, wanted to thank you for making some of these incredible emulators that I've been using since I was a kid. Uh, I wanted to apologize for, for stealing your software as a kid and then buying it later on in life. <laughs> um, and uh, I, it was really cool to get uh, insight into some of this. Um, was there anything that, uh, that you wanted to talk about that maybe I'd forgotten to ask? Uh, no, no. It was basically a session of you asking questions and me answering them. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I mean, thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, you know, a, a lot of no people have been using your stuff for a long time, and I think uh, everybody really loves and hearing from the creator of the work that they use on a regular basis. So I appreciate that. 
Oh, you're welcome. Well, um, you know, if I could ever be of any help, I doubt it, but if I ever could, uh, you have my contact info now, and uh, feel free to reach out, and um, I will leave a link to your website, and uh, you're not on social media at the moment, correct? I am actually on social media. Oh, I missed that. I'm sorry. Oh, Twitter. You're on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Google+. Gotcha. I will leave those links as well. I'm sorry. I can't believe I missed that. You have the Twitter icon right here on your page. So, uh, and I also usually post periodic updates uh, about my applications to a few forums, which are emulation-related. Uh, I also usually send out a semi-weekly email, which is the summary of all updates to my emulators. So if you want me to send one to you, just let me know. Give me your email address. It pretty much just lists all the changes that happened to my staff over a week or two weeks. Great. Well, uh, thank you very much again, and I'm looking forward to continue to follow all your work. Thanks a lot. Bye.